Thank you, Sasha. Right. Good afternoon, everyone. So, um, <laughs> right. In 1917, the Madrid-born José Ortega y Gasset would become Spanish, Spain's leading intellectual in the second half of the 20th century, gave a speech in Madrid on localism and the cosmopolitan project that the recently founded Basque journal Hermes represented. He would later publish that speech in Hermes itself. The main argument of his talk was summarized in the affirmation that intellectual cosmopolitanism affirms itself in the land. Through the development of closer ties among the members of the European intelligentsia, Ortega believed that Europe could manage to find a way to leave its infightings behind. Likewise, Ortega sought to regenerate his own country, Spain, into what he called the new Spain. He would make his compatriots citizens of the world by claiming the right to forge a cosmopolitan union from Europe's southwestern periphery. The foundation of this sweeping project, which runs from public philosophy and social pedagogy, pedagogy to periodical collaborations and book translations, was a transnational public sphere through which Spanish modernists could collaborate with their foreign counterparts. Recent scholarly work has shown the growing number of Anglo-Spanish cultural collaborations that arose in the early 20th century, which only increased later on. As Gail Rogers has noted, across several interlaced literary generations, two modernist movements, one based in Spain and the other in Britain, but which extended at important moments to the literary landscapes of Ireland and North and South America, joined one another in an effort of idealism and critique to renew a Europe in crisis, beginning in one of its notoriously paradoxical, inscrutable corners, Spain. Writers including T.S. Eliot, James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, and a circle of their Spanish peers led by José Ortega y Gasset, cooperated to attach many and diverse cultural agendas to the rebirth of a European Spain as a microcosm of the emergence of a new continent. Their vision of Spain as the convergence of Europe's geographical, political, racial, and gender margins culminating the, during the Spanish Civil War. Right. So Ortega proposed a new understanding of Spain and Europe, as he came to see that the continent, even before the war, was in a perilous state itself. Europe's dominant modernity must be modified, he argued, and Spain has synthesized northern European and Mediterranean qualities already, with an additional Celtic character. Ortega was thus questioning Kantian cosmopolitan views and proposing a new form of cosmopolitanism, based on a multiplication of nodes and active intervention of local projects, which scholars today describe as cosmopolitan localism or decolonial cosmopolitanism. Ezio Mancini described this type of, cosmopolitan, of cosmopolitanism as the result of a particular condition characterized by the balance between being localized, rooted in a place and in the community related to that place, and open to global flows of ideas, information, people, things, and money. For Kant, the typical Spaniard's ethnic hybridity and his aversion to foreign influence excluded the possibility of his being a cosmopolitan European. But Ortega sees a Spanish Germanic inheritance brought by the Visigoths and sustained in contemporary, in contemporary Spaniards who embrace continental thought in Italy and France too. 
They are not Mediterraneans only, but also are steeped in Germanic blood. Indeed, Ortega redraws the Germanic portraits of Spain and Europe by arguing that there was no real Europe until northern and southern char characters combined politically, culturally, ethnically, and otherwise. Recognizing, recovering, and reanimating this heritage, he believed, was the first steps toward creating a pan-European culture of which multicultural and multi-regional Spain could be an integral part. Right, so the reciprocal dialogues among intellectuals blossomed, in fact, when the notion of a unified political or cultural entity of Europe might have seemed dead, or at best dubious, in the wake of the first of the Great War, which had, as Ezra Pound wrote, exposed a bought civilization. One early and prominent example of this cosmopolitan cultural exchange that emphasized locality was the cultural journal Hermes, which Ortega referred to in his speech in Madrid and which has, nonetheless, been overlooked by critics in favor of other later enterprises. Hermes, <coughs> which took its name from the Greek god of transitions and boundaries, messages and travels, can be seen indeed as an early example of cosmopolitan localism in culture. The Basque nationalist intelligentsia founded Hermes in the city of Bilbao in the early 1917, with the intention to integrate nationalism and cosmopolitan ideas. The magazine, which ran until 1922, became one of the best and most influential national publications of its time, thanks to the issues debated within its pages and the quality of its contributors, which included original works of all the major figures of Basque, Catalan, and Spanish modernism, of one protagonist of British decadence, Arthur Simmons, and of one of Anglo-American modernism, Ezra Pound, alongside a plethora of original and translated work by other Basque, Spanish, and international minor figures. This paper explores the Anglo-Basque modernist network surrounded the journal Hermes, which I argue represents a, a prominent yet neglected example of the connection between cosmopolitan localism and modernism. So the first thing I would like to do is to place Hermes within its historical context, uh, the Basque issue. One of the consequences of the Second Carlist War in Spain, which took place between 1846 and 1849, was the substitution of the ancient regime system of Basque fueros, or charters, by a limited autonomy, due to the support in Navarre and part of the Basque country to the defeated Carlist cause. The Basque country and Navarre were thus integrated into the Spanish custom system. This is a, um, you can see here a map that shows Spain in 1854. It shows what regions remained with different law, tax, and military draft systems after the first Carlist War. Um, and here, we have the Basque country, what is what today is the Basque country, and Navarre, which is on this side, on the east <coughs> side. It was in this side of Spain. Uh, right, so Basque um, industrialists profited from this new political situation. This situation, In particular, from the Spanish captive market with iron ore. Workers from all over Spain were also attracted to the area as laborers for the burgeoning industry. As a result of this integration into the Spanish costume system and this proliferation of Spanish-speaking immigrants, the Basque language suffered from an increasing marginalization. Spanish was imposed as mandatory in schooling and administration, and Spanish traditions began to increase exponentially while Basque ones declined. 
The concept of a Basque nationalism was born out of this Carlist question. The seminal ideologist of this process was Sabino Arana, this man, uh, founder of the Basque Nationalist Party. By the end of the 19th century, Arana, uh, coming from a Carlist background, created a xenophobic ideology centered on the purity of the Basque race and its so-called moral supremacy over Spaniards, anti-liberal Catholic fundamentalism, and deep opposition to the migration of Spaniards to the Basque country, which had started in the first stages of the Industrial Revolution. By the time of his death in 1903, however, Sabino Arana's political goals varied and his zeal had softened considerably. After Arana's death, and coinciding with the different position regarding the First World War, and subjecting initial claims for independence to a more pragmatic stance, an autonomous wing came to prominence from within the moderate faction of the Nationalist Party in the 1910s. The journal Hermes, would embrace this new and moderate nationalism and would attempt to incorporate the democratic ideas revitalized by the First World War within the nationalist ideology. Hermes reflected the changes that were fomented in the Basque country and it stood as testimony to the opportunities the First World War presented. The Spanish neutrality in the war promoted exports of all products and the economy boomed. In its desire to ascribe greater relevance to literature and the arts, the magazine made space within the speeches for avant-garde currents of modern thought. The director of Hermes, Jesus de Sarria, and its main backers were fervent nationalists, but they sought a connection with the European culture of the time, and many of Hermes' contributors did not indeed share their political views. In fact, the magazine did not widely mention nationalist ideas, when it did, it was within a plurality of terms and highlighting the debate surrounding the issue. What Hermes did often include, in contrast, were serious studies on the idea of uh, false geist, geist or, <laughs> or spirit of the people and the pro-European ideal as a model of progress. One of Hermes' main achievements was the quality of his contributors, which included all the major figures of, the, of early Spanish modernism, especially those of the so-called Generation of 98. The intellectuals included in this group were especially informed by Spain's defeat in the Spanish-American War in 1898, which resulted in the loss of all of Spain's remaining colonies. The writers, poets, and playwrights of this generation maintained a strong intellectual unity, opposed the restoration of the monarchy in Spain, revived Spanish literary myths, and broke with classical schemes of literary genres. They brought back traditional and lost words and supported the idea of Spanish regionalism, although generally not nationalism. Right, so three uh, of the main figures of this generation, of the generation of 98, happened to be Basque. Um, Miguel de Unamuno, Pio Baroja, and Ramiro de Maestu. They kept strong ties to their native land, to the Basque country, although none of them embraced nationalist ideals. All of them agreed to contribute to Hermes, however, presumably based on the cosmopolitan nature of the journal, as all of them were strong defendants of cross-culturalism. The, bas the basic, the colonial objective of Hermes was to construct a modern image of the industrial Basque country. The journal wished to leave behind the folkloric image that was associated with the Basque people, lending instead a more urban articulation of Basque culture. Right, so, 
by overcoming the prejudices and confused position, it sought to bestow upon Basque culture a perspective at once broader and more plural. The journal wanted to integrate the diverse ways in which Basqueness could be understood, seeking what it termed the civility of the Basque country. It wanted to understand all Basque manifestations, incorporate its linguistic tradition, its ideology, and its political and intellectual heritage in order to debate conceptions of the historical and cultural reality of the Basque people against the reality which was opposed to and imposed upon it. For example, although firmly rooted in the cultural values of the Basque country, Hermes did not want to remain chained to or hemmed in by them. Rather, it opened doors to other horizons seeking to extend itself internationally. It was sold from the beginning in different Spanish, European and American cities, and although primarily in Spanish, it also included many articles in Basque, English and French. The authentic international face of Hermes began, however, in 1920, and its centre was London. The reason why Hermes looked to Britain in its international mission lay in a perceived kindred culture. Several Basque contributors would emphasise in the magazine the resemblance between England and the Basque country stressing the combination of popular tradition and industrialization in both cultures. Perhaps more importantly, key collaborators of the magazine had a strong connections to England. Alejandro de la Sota, main financial backer and collaborator in Hermes, studied in Oxford and worked in the London headquarters of the family shipping company from 1920 to 1924. Ramiro de Maestu was half English himself and resident in England between 1905 and 1922. And actually, between 1913 and 1920, Ramiro de Maestu was a regular contributor to the British modernist magazine, The New Age. Right, so Maestu and Sota used to meet at the well-known Café Royal, Café Royal, the place to see and be seen, where they discussed cultural matters with, among others, the American-British sculptor Jacob Epstein and the Welsh painters Augustus John. It was in the Café Royal where they met Arthur Simmons, notable cosmopolitan figure and connoisseur of Spain. The person who introduced Simmons to Sota and Maestu in the Café Royal was Father José María de Elizondo, this man. He was a Basque friar and respected scholar of San Francis, who was the real promoter of the Anglo-Basque network that would be portrayed in Hermes. Elizondo had maintained a correspondence with Simmons since 1917 through Ezra Pound, Bear with me. <laughs> a friend of his since 1906. Pan's Spanish studies at the University of Pennsylvania and the project for a thesis on Lope de Vega led him to the Spanish National Library in, in Madrid. In Madrid, he was helped by Father Elizondo, with whom he struck up a friendship after the priest helped him obtain permission to study other manuscripts. They met again in London in 1917, when the friar went to the capital to research San Francis in the British Museum. Father Elizondo is notoriously referred to in Pound's Canto 81 that you can see here. And he said, aquí hay mucho catolicismo, sounded catolicismo, y muy poco religión. And he said, yo creo que los reyes desaparecen, kings will, I think, disappear. This was Padre José Elizondo in 1906 and in 1917, or about 1917. Simons and Pound knew each other since the early 20th century, Pan regarded Simmons as one of his gods, in part due to the influence that Simmons, the symbolist movement in literature, exerted upon him. 
Arthur Simmons, a Londoner born in Wales, was deeply interested in the propagation of a transnational cultural network from the beginning of his career. Notably through the mention of the symbolist movement in literature, he brought French symbolism to the attention of British literary circles. But also Indian poets, like Sarojini Naidu, Spanish 17th century mystic poetry, and mid and late 19th century Spanish poets, such as Ramón de Campoamor and Gaspar Núñez de Arce. Considering the strong cosmopolitan inclinations of both Simmons and Pounds, it is no surprising that they would be eager to collaborate with a project such as Hermes. Pound, furthermore, was deeply affected by the war, which had shattered his belief in modern Western civilization. The idea of a journal that emphasized the global and the local, national identities on the margins and cross-culturalism would, presumably, interest a Pound eager to find new forms of literary articulation, which could eventually end up developing in an interest in Italian fascism, um, perhaps the links between the more extreme factions of Basque nationalism and Italian fascism could be the topic for another paper. Anyway, so Pound's Cantos, uh, which he began writing in 1915, do relate somewhat to Hermes' ideology. Pound scholar Rebecca Beasley believes that Cantos amounts to a rejection of the 19th century exclusively nation-based approach in favor of early 20th century comparative literature. Pound reaches across cultures and time periods, assembling and juxtaposing themes and history. The work presents a multitude of protagonists as travelers between nations, as if they were Hermes gods, transnational messengers and guides. Right, so Arthur Simmons could become a regular contributor in Hermes between 1920 and the end of the journal in 1922, publishing 10 articles, four of which were written especially for Hermes, and published in Spanish translation by the Spanish historian Salvador de Madariaga and six were translations of previously published essays. This is uh, one of the original works in Spanish, in translation, yeah. Uh, right, in Pound wrote three original articles for Hermes, two written in Spanish and dealing with English and French subjects, and one written in English and dealing with Spanish subjects. Very Poundian. <laughs> in exchange for his, uh, for his contributing to Hermes, Pound requested Father Elizondo, the father that I have been talking about at the beginning, to write to the Basque philosopher and collaborator of Hermes, Miguel de Unamuno, on his behalf to secure his, contributor, his contribution to the dial. Pound was actually the first to offer Unamuno an international platform, the first in short to want to see Unamuno put before a regular English reading public. Among the lessons Unamuno saved are a couple from Pound, one of them partially in a Poundian brand of Italianate medieval Spanish, who characteristically, characteristically was aware of Unamuno's value somewhat before the rest of the world. Pound asked Unamuno to make the dial your representative organ in the United States and assured him that the, contribution, that the contributions could be translated by my friend William Carlos Williams, son of a Spanish woman. Ah, so this is how the <laughs> network begins. So partly thanks to Father Elizondo's recommendation, partly thanks to Pound's enthusiasm, Unamuno answered agreeing. The dial would later include pieces also on, of Pio de Baroja, another of the Basque modernists which collaborated in Hermes, continuing thus to wave this cosmopolitan local network initiated in Hermes. 
So, concluding, um, scholars have noted that by the end of the 19th century, cosmopolitan thought was a, no a notable feature of intellectual life in Britain, with journals such as Cosmopolis, and Arthur Simmons and Aubrey Bersley the Savoy. <coughs> Following and expanding on that tradition, modernist periodicals were essential media for transmitting the variag variegated flows of new literature and thought in Europe. They allowed writers to bridge cultural gaps by challenging their reformist collaborations throughout Europe through its margins. When T.S. Eliot wrote in 1930 of the groundbreaking partnership between his criterion José Ortega y Gasset's Revista de Occidente and several other journals that share staff writers and a circulation scheme, he employed the multivalent metaphor of circulation. Such cooperation, he believed, had revived and kept the intellectual blood of Europe in healthy circulation among Europe's higher community, which had disintegrated after the war. The case of Hermes represents a modernist early example of T.S. Eliot's affirmation. Significant due to its emphasis on the local, on a culture that, being geographically and politically in the margins, was ready to be reconceived through its opening and interaction with other cultures. Hermes ended tragically. Just as the outbreak of the First World War favored its progress, the end of it marked the beginning of its end. Financial travels multiplied, and the founder and driving force of the magazine, Jesus de Sarria, ended up committing suicide, jumping from the third floor of Hermes headquarters in Bilbao in June 92. Nonetheless, perhaps the cosmopolitan localism Hermes defended still remains. Ortega said's quote, mentioned at the beginning of this paper in relation to the Hermes project, intellectual cosmopolitanism affirms itself in the land, takes undoubtedly special relevance today in the framework of the multilocal society in which Mancini argues the dominant ideas of the global and local and the ones of large and small are challenged. In fact, by nature, the multilocal society is necessarily a highly connected world. Thank you.